It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Changing of the guard on Capitol Hill. Good Monday afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. Tomorrow, Republicans take control of the U.S. House for the first time since 2019. The 118th Congress will be sworn in at noontime on Tuesday. Now, the GOP must settle on a new speaker, and it is not a done deal yet that California's Kevin McCarthy will hold the gavel. New York Congressman-elect Mike Lawler is a McCarthy supporter and thinks eventually he will be named Speaker of the House. I think ultimately cooler heads will prevail. I do think he will have the requisite number of votes. McCarthy can only afford to lose a handful of votes given the slim majority that Republicans have in the House. Congressman Daryl Issa says if the GOP cannot agree on a speaker, it will only help Democrats. If five or six people hold out, all we're really doing is empowering the other side and not having a speaker because there's no question over 200 members, uh, Republican members, will stick with Kevin McCarthy. President Biden returns to Washington from his Caribbean vacation this afternoon. He said shortly after the midterms that he'd be willing to work with the GOP in the new Congress. Biden will be in Kentucky on Wednesday for a public appearance with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. The suspect in the murders of four University of Idaho students faces extradition tomorrow from Monroe County, Pennsylvania, about 2,000 miles away from the crime scene. 28-year-old Brian Koberger was arrested early Friday in Albrightsville, nearly two months after the grisly quadruple homicide. Former FBI Special Agent Jonathan Gillum. Once they start building a motive and they start building a picture of uh, his movements and the evidence that puts him in there at the time, uh, then it's going to be an easier case to prove, especially if his DNA was actually mixed in with the DNA of the victim. The murder suspect was pursuing a PhD in criminology at a college just a few miles away from the off-campus apartment where the four stabbings happened. There are reports that Koberger is a recovering heroin addict. He's facing four counts of first-degree murder. The man accused in the New Year's Eve machete attack in Times Square was on the FBI's terror watch list. New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. This young man was radicalized probably through social media because where else would he get uh, information about the Taliban and Afghanistan, which is reportedly what happened with this guy. Three cops were injured in that machete attack. The suspect, Trevor Bickford, was shot in the shoulder. Authorities say he traveled to New York City from his home in Maine. The FBI spent yesterday searching his home looking for ties to terrorism. Thousands of Catholics are lined up at the Vatican today to pay their respects to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. The former Pope died New Year's Eve at the age of 95, he led the church through some of its darkest days, namely the pre-sex abuse scandal. Reporter Molly Hunter has more from the throngs of well-wishers inside the Vatican. Once you get inside St. Peter's Basilica, you only have about 20 to 30 seconds to say your final prayers. Over the weekend, a spiritual testament was published. It's something that Benedict penned back in 2006, and in it, he asks for forgiveness and encourages believers to stand firm in the faith. 
Back in 2013, Benedict became the first pope in 600 years to resign from office. He was 85 at that time. The ex-pope's funeral will happen Thursday at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Pope Francis will oversee that ceremony. Gunmen in armored vehicles attacked a prison in Mexico Sunday, not far from El Paso, Texas. Ten guards and four inmates were killed in that attack, just nine miles from the U.S. border. Thirteen were wounded, 24 inmates escaped. Parts of Northern California under evacuation orders today as severe storms pummel parts of the state. Heavy rain has breached levees and shut down major highways. KOVR-TV's Ashley Sharp. We're seeing, I mean, several feet of water at a time. And what should be a field looks like a lake. The water goes as far as the eye can see, and it's very deep. It appears that the water is trying to move out to the Sacramento River, but that's going to take some time because the land is already so saturated. At least one death blamed on the flooding. Oscar-nominated actor Jeremy Renner is in critical but stable condition today after a snowplow accident. The 51-year-old was hurt while plowing snow Sunday at his home in the Sierra Nevada mountains west of Reno, Nevada. The war in Ukraine shows no signs of abating as Russian drone strikes continue near the capital. Correspondent Christopher Cruz. Kiev Mayor Vitaly Klitschko said 22 drones that air defense forces said were Iranian-made and headed for the city had been destroyed. He said three others aimed at the outlying Kiev region and 15 over neighboring provinces were also shot down. Some areas of the capital are now experiencing power outages. The new year means new laws nationwide. 27 states will see minimum wage increases in 2023. The minimum wage in Washington state is now $15.74 an hour. That is the highest in the country. Maryland and Missouri are the latest states to offer recreational marijuana. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Monday, why gas prices are so high now in New York. The Bills and the Bengals duke it out in prime time and masks are back in Philadelphia. Well, good afternoon to all. We're looking at some warm weather these next couple of days, but some rain is on the docket as well. I'll have forecast details coming up. We'll see you in 10. All right, Kevin Williams, we'll see you then. Let's check the stories making news where you live next. Students in Pennsylvania's largest school district are being required to mask up when they return to class tomorrow from Christmas break. Philadelphia's public schools are bringing back the masks to mitigate the spread of COVID, flu, and RSV. The mask rule in school will be in effect for at least two weeks before being re-evaluated. Dr. Ralph Kerr is the president of the Teaching and Learning Institute. I have no problem with people who want to wear a mask, wear a mask. It's absolutely fine with me. But to push those mandates on children and staff, again, I'm very concerned about. The fact that it's in uh, Pennsylvania and specifically in Philadelphia makes me think that the union has raised its nasty head again there. Again, Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute. New York's gas tax holiday is no more, and that means motorists will see a noticeable jump in pump prices this winter. Reporter Sean Adams. The gas tax holiday was intended to be temporary relief from crippling inflation. It's time to pay for road and bridge repairs once again. New York's gas tax is back 16 cents. In Connecticut, it will return gradually, a nickel per month through May. AAA's Mark Gruba says drivers are going to notice this increase at the gas pump. There's been a huge drop in the price of gas, um, but when you start adding this tax back in come the first of January, people are going to see 
an increase at the pump, no question about it. Many New Yorkers are up in arms over the return of the gas tax, especially since New York lawmakers recently voted to give themselves a more than 30% pay raise. Two people killed in a head-on car crash just after midnight Sunday, Route 33 in Buffalo. Police say a driver was traveling westbound in the eastbound lane of the Kensington Expressway and hit an oncoming vehicle head-on. Both drivers were killed. A third person suffered serious injuries. New York Governor Kathy Hochul was sworn in yesterday as the state's 57th governor in an inauguration ceremony that took place at the Empire State Plaza Convention Center. New Yorkers are just struggling to pay rent, food, and gas to get to their jobs. They're hurting. Our people are hurting. We're going to fight for them. The state's first ever female governor called for a new spirit of bipartisanship in Albany. Let's use these coming years to truly make a difference for each other and to make this state stronger than it's ever been in our glorious history. New York, just as you have put your faith in me, and I thank all the voters of New York, I also have faith in you. The new legislative session begins Wednesday, January 4th. Hochul will deliver her State of the State speech next Tuesday, January 10th. Pennsylvania politicians return to Harrisburg tomorrow, and Northern Tier lawmaker Clint Owlett has big plans for 2023. The Republican representative will introduce a school choice bill, as well as a measure that cracks down on fentanyl. We're seeing fentanyl coming into our country in our state, it's going to continue to be a problem. So looking at ways that we can crack down on drug delivery resulting in death. Um, we want to be hard on the dealers. Last year, enough fentanyl was seized at our border to kill every single American. New legislation signed by outgoing Governor Tom Wolf would require police to notify the state whenever there is a drug overdose. Nearly 3,000 Pennsylvanians died last year from drug overdoses. A GoFundMe site has been set up to help out a family who lost three young children in a blaze in Buffalo over the weekend. It was just a horrific situation, um, especially this time of year. We just came through a blizzard, and it just seems like things keep on happening. Um, my heart goes out to this family. The fire happened Saturday morning at a home on Dartmouth Avenue. Three girls passed away. Three other children were injured. More than a week after the deadly Buffalo blizzard, we're still getting reports of hometown heroes that helped stranded motorists. Jeff Schwartz, a Williamsville mechanic tells WIVB that he helped tow semis off the highway. We couldn't even plow the snow. We had to use a payloader to get them in. We did it, but we worked Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, almost 24 hours a day, just getting them in, get them started. The manager at Jim's Truck Stop Restaurant says they provided food and shelter for more than 100 stranded drivers during the storm. An employee of the Geisinger Medical Center in Pennsylvania is dead following a shooting that happened over the weekend in the parking lot of that hospital. The Montour County Coroner says 49-year-old Vicki Wetzel was was returning to her car after her shift when the gunshots rang out. Security footage shows the suspect fleeing the scene in a dark SUV, no arrests made yet. Thousands of nurses at seven New York City hospitals could go on strike next week. Scott Pringle has that report. No
nurse Michelle Gonzalez says in addition to better pay and benefits, they want higher staffing levels. We are truly struggling. We have been telling the institution that there's not enough of us, that we cannot split ourselves into two people. If we could, we would have easily done that already. The possible strike comes at a time when hospitals are extremely busy with flu, RSV, and COVID cases. Scott Pringle, New York. All right, Scott, thank you very much. You're listening to the Noon Report, a Monday edition right here on Family Life. Checking sports next. The top spot in the AFC still up for grabs as the Buffalo Bills visit the Cincinnati Bengals for the final Monday night football matchup of the season. Josh Allen leads the Bills with over 4,000 yards passing and 32 touchdowns through the year. Joe Burrow has had a stellar season as well, passing for over 4,200 yards, 34 touchdowns. Buffalo enters Week 17 as one of the top teams in the AFC with a record of 12-3. The Bills have already clinched the AFC East. Since he is one game behind the Bills in the conference and leads the AFC North at 11-4. The NFL playoff picture becoming a bit clearer after another wild weekend across the league. The Buccaneers securing the NFC South title after beating the Panthers while the Giants clinched a playoff berth for the first time since 2016 with a win over the Colts. In the AFC, the Patriots took down the Dolphins yesterday to keep their slim playoff hopes alive, as did the Steelers with a Sunday night win over over rival Baltimore. The NFL says it will flex two games to Saturday next weekend, the final weekend of the regular season. The Chiefs will visit the Las Vegas Raiders in the opener of the doubleheader on Saturday. KC still gunning for top seed in the AFC. In the nightcap, the Titans and Jaguars will clash in Jacksonville with the AFC South title on the line. And Pasadena, California is in the nation's spotlight today. The 134th annual Rose Parade, followed by the 109th annual Rose Rose Bowl game. Coined the granddaddy of them all, college football's oldest bowl game is a clash this year between the Penn State Nittany Lions and the Utah Utes. Kickoff for the Rose Bowl set for 5 p.m. At the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Bob Price. And there is much more ahead on today's noon report, including this, saying goodbye to a Pope, American Jihad, the man behind the machete attack in Times Square. And Kevin Williams calling for a major warm-up this first week of the new year. His forecast is yours in four minutes. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look in an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Over the centuries, Christians have been responsible for many crimes and evils committed against the Jews, from malicious accusations to forced conversions to expulsions to massacres. While the church has been culpable for some of this violence, instigated by friars or preachers or church leaders, there is more to the story. For example, during the First Crusade, there was a widespread outbreak of anti-Semitic massacres when mobs in Germany attacked Jewish communities. Although the crusade had been called by the Pope, all the attacks on the Jews were condemned by the church hierarchy. Some bishops offered Jews refuge in surrounding cities. Others sheltered them in their own palaces. And others bought off the marauding crusaders with silver. After the first crusades, Pope Gregory X and Benedict XIII declared that Jews were not enemies of Christians and that their lives and property were to be respected. Later, when the Black Death struck Europe, rumors began to circulate that the disease was called by Jews poisoning the wells of Christians on orders from a Spanish rabbi. Once again, violence against the Jews broke out. Hundreds of Jewish communities were destroyed. In the city of Strasbourg, before the plague had even reached the city, 900 Jews were herded into a synagogue that was then burned to the ground. 
Once again, Christian bishops attempted to stop this violence. Some protected the Jews in their own palaces. Pope Clement VI issued two papal bulls refuting the idea of well poisoning and pointing out that the Jews were also dying of the plague, like the Christians. Now, in Protestant history, Martin Luther's vicious tirades against the Jews are well known, and they were used by Hitler to justify the Holocaust. Though Luther's comments are inexcusable, two factors should be remembered. First, Luther was initially friendly to the Jews because he thought that with the restoration of the gospel, they'd convert to Christianity. When they didn't, he became bitter and turned against them. But by this point, he was an old, sick, and frankly cranky man. He tended to attack everyone who disagreed with him with a similar venom to what he poured out on the Jews. In other words, his vicious attacks were not exclusively aimed at Jews. Second, unlike Hitler, Luther saw the Jews not as a race, but as a religion. He was fine with Jews who converted, unlike Hitler, who defrocked Lutheran pastors because of their Jewish ancestry. It's thus more accurate to label Luther as anti-Judaic, not anti-Semitic. Now, none of this, of course, excuses Luther's vicious or horrible words. It only helps put them in historical context. Not all Protestants shared Luther's attitudes. The Reformed tradition tended to be far friendlier to Jews than Luther. Calvin did not distinguish between the Old Covenant with Israel and the New Covenant, though he did share the negative attitudes towards the Jews that were common in his day. His successor, however, Theodore Beza, argued for a future restoration of Israel. That was an idea that spread to Britain via the Geneva Bible, and an idea that also led many Anglican and Puritan leaders to urge Christians to love and minister to the Jews rather than to hold them in contempt. As a result, both England and America had far less anti-Semitism than what was common across much of continental Europe. And centuries later, Dutch Calvinists like Corey ten Boom and Huguenots in France like the Trochmies continued to live out these commitments by saving the Jews from the Holocaust. In summary, Christian churches and Christian individuals throughout history have been guilty of anti-Semitism and sometimes horrible violence against the Jews. The historical record, however, is better than both the skeptics and popular history often suggest. Today, anti-Semitism is, once again, rearing its ugly head. The church should take the lead in opposing this evil and supporting the value and dignity of all of our neighbors, including our Jewish neighbors. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Glenn Sunshine. For more resources to live like a Christian in this cultural moment, please go to colsoncenter.org. Let's take it outside. Kevin Williams, Work Week Weather next. Good afternoon. Here is your family life weather forecast. The call for this afternoon generally cloudy, a few breaks of sun, and a sprinkle in a couple of spots. High temps in the 40s to near 50, mainly cloudy tonight. Some rain arrives late tonight in western New York and northwest Pennsylvania. Low temperatures, mid 30s to low 40s. And for tomorrow and Wednesday, warm for this time of year, but cloudy with occasional rain and showers, some areas of fog. High temperatures tomorrow and Wednesday, mostly in the 50s. All right, taking a walk on the mild side. Thank you very much, Kevin. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm your host, Bob Price. Our first Noon Report of the new year. Here's what's going on Tuesday, the 2nd of January, 2023. Well-wishers are lined up at the Vatican today to say goodbye to a former pope. Benedict XVI died on New Year's Eve at the age of 95. Reporter Molly Hunter is at the Vatican. Early this morning, the body of late Pope Benedict XVI was moved to St. Peter's Basilica. And you can see these huge crowds behind me. The line is snaking through. Now it is moving quite quickly. Roman authorities estimate some 30,000 people a day are going to try to get in 
inside to pay their final respects before Thursday's funeral. Back in 2013, Benedict became the first pope in more than 600 years to resign as head of the Roman Catholic Church. Russia is not letting up on Ukraine as Europe's largest war since World War II enters a new year. Here's correspondent Vicki Barker. Smoke rises from the rubble of a building in the Russian-occupied Donetsk region. The Ukrainians claim 400 Russian troops died in this attack. The Russians put the casualty figure at 63. Overnight, new Russian missile and drone strikes also knocked out power and heating in parts of the Ukrainian capital, Kiev. Vicki Barker reporting a frightening New Year's Eve machete attack in Times Square left three police officers injured and a suspect in custody. The 19-year-old Maine man, Trevor Bickford, was on the FBI's terror watch list. The FBI thinks Bickford was radicalized by Islam and traveled to New York by Amtrak. Reporter Kathy Park has more. He had a backpack that included personal writings, terrorist propaganda, a pocket knife, and $200 in cash. From his hospital bed this weekend, authorities say he made a pro-jihadi statement. Just weeks ago, law enforcement officials say federal agents in Maine interviewed Bickford after a relative warned he had been expressing revolutionary support for Islam. Kathy Park in New York, the 28-year-old Pennsylvania man accused in the fatal stabbings of four Idaho college students will be extradited to Idaho tomorrow. Brian Koberger was arrested last week in the Poconos after being implicated in the grisly crimes. Former FBI agent Jonathan Gillum. When you look at the type of weapon that he used, that type of weapon was probably not something that he just grabbed and decided to kill with. It's probably a weapon that he's used before, so it's like a trophy. I think they'll be able to find that weapon and potentially it would be in Pennsylvania somewhere. The murder suspect was pursuing a PhD in criminology at a college just a few miles away from the off-campus apartment where the stabbings occurred. The man now faces four counts of first-degree murder. The new year means a new Congress, but Republicans seem divided over their leadership in 2023. Christina Ruffini has more from Capitol Hill. With Republicans set to take over the House January 3rd, there is already uncertainty about who will lead them. Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has been the presumed frontrunner, but some within the GOP are seeking alternatives. Former President Donald Trump is blaming the abortion issue for Republican shortfalls in the November midterms. In a post on Truth Social yesterday, Trump wrote that many Republicans handled the abortion issue poorly. Exit polls showed that abortion was among the most important issues to voters, along with inflation. Trump also defended himself, saying he is not to blame for the lack of a red wave on election day. Cleanup underway after a vicious storm pummeled Northern California. Jonathan Vigliotti reports that flash flooding unleashed deadly landslides in the Sacramento area. It's been a race to higher ground in Northern California after a massive storm brought severe downpours this holiday weekend. Many residents in Sacramento County have been ordered to evacuate after the historic rains breached at least two levees. There are growing concerns that swollen rivers could continue to rise after they overflowed onto nearby roadways. First responders rescued at least a dozen stranded drivers from the air and through the floodwaters that turned deadly for at least one person near the town of Wilton. A person was found deceased who had been trying to drive through the water. Neighborhoods had been submerged while landslides blocked roadways. Powerful wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour downed trees. 
causing power outages for tens of thousands. Jonathan Vigliotti reporting from Northern California. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says China may have infected millions with COVID. He's calling for an outright travel ban for those who wish to enter this country from that communist state. We are not obligated to let travelers pass over our borders. Um, and so it's really a privilege. And I think that Secretary Pompeo is right. That's Rebecca Heinrichs with the Hudson Institute. If you have surges of people who are infected, of course, um, if you want to, to, to stop the slow or the spread of it, you need to, to restrict travel. Obviously, if you have infected people coming in, that is going to be a danger to the American people. The Biden administration has instituted new COVID testing for visitors from China, but has stopped short of an outright travel ban. Next at noon, some timely tips for getting you in fiscal shape in the new year. Our guest, Adrian Young with Ambassador Advisors, and he says getting in fiscal shape starts by setting up and living within a budget. He spoke recently to our Tracy Lynn. I think when you're talking about any good plan, the first thing that needs to be done is establishing goals and objectives. What do you want to accomplish in 2023? Or maybe what's keeping you up at night? You want to have a pen and paper, you want to write it down, whether it's a whiteboard or whatever you do, writing down those goals and objectives is probably the most important first step that someone can take. A recent Wallet Hub study shows one in three Americans are planning to make finance-related New Year's resolutions. What other winning steps can we take when it comes to personal finances? One of the first things that we need to remember is that we don't own anything. We're here simply stewarding these assets. We want to give the Lord the first fruits. We want to track progress as we go with those goals and objectives. But some of the other things we can do is if you do have debt, you want to pay off that debt starting and concentrating your firepower on the highest interest rate debt that you have first. Another thing that you can do is you can maximize tax advantage savings, whether it's Roth IRAs, 401k plans, any of those vehicles allow you to ensure that you're getting tax deferral along the way and the ability to draw things out at a later date when you hopefully will have more money because of the tax deferral you had along the way. Do you have any ideas for tracking our actual spending as we get into the whole budgeting aspect? Yeah, budgeting has come such a long way, and uh, there are a lot of really great apps that are out there. Now, we have many people that will use the envelope methodology. They'll have an envelope that is for their giving, for their living, for their owing, and for their growing, and that's a great way to do it. On every month, you've got that envelope, and you've got a certain amount dedicated to each one of them. But in today's day and age, you have apps like Mint and Honeydew, Personal Capital, Monarch, depending on if you want to be a Bells and Wilson person, if you're driven by spreadsheets, or if you want to have little exciting memes come up when you accomplish a goal that you may have, you can choose those different ones in order to accomplish that. Any advice? I know some people are a little leery about linking some of those apps to bank accounts. Yeah, it's a great point. Now, most of these places have got multi-factor authentication to make sure that those pieces are taken care of. However, most of them also allow you to enter the information if you do not want to actually link it itself. Great. How about automation? Um, How does that help us keep on track financially when it comes to savings? Yeah, this is really great. I mean, automation is so many different facets of our life have brought things to progress. When you have 
have things set up to come directly out of payroll. And we have a lot of people that will do things out of their bank account. But if you can take the step of talking to your human resource person and have things for savings, whether they're tax-preferred savings or just other savings taken directly out of your payroll, that automation puts you in a position where you don't see the money. And if you don't see the money and it's not burning you know, the proverbial hole in your pocket, there's a high likelihood that you're not going to spend it and it's going to help you keep to those goals that you made at the beginning of the year. Absolutely. And it's really great when you don't feel like you're very disciplined on a regular basis. So the automation is doing it for us. Absolutely. Some people think of budgeting with the same excitement as eating their vegetables. Yet, you mentioned earlier, it can be exciting and customized, right? Anything else you want to share about budgeting? As you said, this uh, steaming bowl of boiled Brussels sprouts is staring you in the face (laughs) for budgeting, and it's rarely pleasant. A budget is an act of discipline. Now, it can be looked at as an act of spiritual discipline, as, of course, we know, too. But I think the best thing to really looking at how we build excitement with this is look at some of those apps that I mentioned. There are those tools that can give you, if you do need to have that tactile or visual stimulation to encourage you along the way. But even if you don't, I think one of the best things you can visualize is behind that steaming bowl is the dessert of your choice. And that's really what you're doing when you set these goals and objectives in the beginning and you write them down and you track your progress. You're doing one scoop at a time through those vegetables, but you're getting to that homemade pie on the other side of those vegetables. And I think that's really the motivation that a lot of us need. I've noticed also some people are thinking it's pretty popular to do almost like a financial journal, maybe if they're not going to the apps. I've seen some with stickers and everything. Agreed. A different form of bells and whistles. I think, again, it's accountability. Journaling will help you see that progress. You go back at the end of the year and you see some of the mistakes perhaps you made. You see some of the decisions that you had. You see how the road has been paved in front of you and how you walked it. So I think journaling is a great idea. And some great advice there from Adrian Young with Ambassador Advisors speaking to our own Tracy Lynn. Timely tips on getting you in fiscal shape for 2023. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional weather forecast. Well, it's not going to look or feel much like winter these next several days. A warmer than normal pattern here. All the winter weather is occurring out west. They have been buried in the mountain west with snows in recent days and more to come. But warmer weather will be our story here at least through midweek. The call for this afternoon, generally cloudy, a few breaks of sun. And a sprinkle in a couple of spots, high temps in the 40s to near 50, mainly cloudy tonight. Some rain arrives late tonight in western New York and northwest Pennsylvania. Low temperatures, mid-30s to low 40s. And for tomorrow and Wednesday, warm for this time of year, but cloudy with occasional rain and showers. Some areas of fog, high temperatures tomorrow and Wednesday, mostly in the 50s. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. And finally, at noon today, it is not often that somebody who breaks into school is hailed a hero. But this was no ordinary break-in. As a deadly blizzard raged in Buffalo two Fridays ago, a security alarm sounded at the Pine Hill School in Cheektowaga. That's because 27-year-old Kenmore mechanic Jay Withy had broken the glass to get into the school. He had to, because dozens of people whom he was with were trapped in that storm. I got cereal, water, juice, 
apples and I put on the kid, uh, cafeteria table for them to eat and uh, out, of, out I went to go look for more people and I walked and I walked and I walked till I couldn't walk anymore. With he left a handwritten note at the school apologizing for the break-in but explaining that it was necessary to save lives. He signed that note, Merry Christmas, Jay. I left the school with people still in it at Christmas Sunday at 8 p.m. So you spent Christmas? Christmas Eve and, and Christmas most of day. Christmas Day and, yeah. at the school? Correct. With these strangers? With strangers. What did you guys talk about? Everything. And how thankful we are and, you know, just, um, you know, the different meanings of Christmas now. Cops say the group of Blizzard survivors only ate what was necessary to stay alive. And once they left, you'd never known they were even at that school. The group cleaned up all the rooms that they spent the night in. Some of them spent multiple nights in. Buffalo Police cite Jay with for going above and beyond the call of duty in saving lives during that deadly blizzard. And that's the world we live in Monday, the 2nd of January, 2023. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.